morning. Uh, my name is Petra Anderson, for those who don't know me. And uh, I have the quite humbling, actually, um, uh, job to uh, talk about humility today. And as that, Moses, God's humble leader in his humility. Last week, in our introduction to the topic of humility, we looked at what having the same mindset of Christ uh, looks like for us, and humility and service were highlighted. We heard that in Philippians, we saw, uh, we saw in Philippians that according to Paul, having the same mindset of Christ means for us to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, nothing. Valuing others above ourselves and look for, out for both our and the interest of others. Now we saw that Jesus, although in very nature God, the highest possible status anyone could have, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And as we know, this all happened for Jesus in obedience to the Father, through constant conversation with the Father, and by not doing anything that the Father did not tell him to do. Today, we are looking at the life of Moses, who lived many centuries before, Je before Christ. In Numbers 12.3, we read that Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Wow. This was very likely added later by a scribe who wanted to emphasize that a lot of the accusations that Moses received from his people, including his siblings, were not justified. And Moses was certainly more humble than Pharaoh and also more humble than Aaron. But as we will see, in Moses we have a mere human being, like you and me who has his own struggles with pride, but is open to learn from his particular life experiences and also to learn how to use his leadership gifts and skills, surrender to God, in obedience to God, and to glorify God. We will see um, that making mistakes and learning from them and suffering losses are all being used by God to guide Moses, like us, to choose true humility over pride. If not right away, eventually. If our hearts are open and teachable. If we are willing to give up control. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, allow us today to look at the life of Moses and open our hearts to what you want us to see and hear. Give us humble hearts that are teachable, drawing from your wisdom. Help us to not raise ourselves up, nor put ourselves down, but may we grow in humble confidence in you. May our hearts acknowledge our dependence on you as we are using the gifts from you to your glory. Amen. 
I would like to highlight three points regarding humility evident in the story of Moses. Humility is learned. In fact, it is a, it's, it's a matter of lifelong learning. Humility is turning to God often. And humility really bears fruit in relationships. Humility needs to be chosen over pride daily throughout our lives, as it is just too easy for pride or false humility, the other side of the coin, to sneak up on us, even without us noticing. Both pride and false humility are opposing true humility, as they draw attention to self by lifting ourselves either up or down. It's still drawing attention to ourselves, neither of which is compatible with true humility. C.S. Lewis calls pride the complete anti-God state of mind. So quite the opposite, what we learn to be the mind of Christ in Philippians last week. Thus, humbling ourselves is the work of a lifetime, as we will see with Moses and look at his own struggles with pride. According to Stephen, as we heard in the summary of the life of Moses in a passage we read earlier, Moses' life can be divided into three time periods, which are all in different ways part of his learning to humble himself before God so that he will be able to embrace his call to lead the nation of Israel in dependence on God. First, we have 40 years with Pharaoh in Egypt then 40 years with Jethro in Midian, and then 40 years with Israel in the desert. Whenever the Bible talks about a time span of 40 years, it seems to refer to a time, and often a prolonged time, of testing, trial, or probation. For our topic of humility versus pride today, we might want to keep that in mind that going through trials and testing seems necessary for human beings in order to learn and practice humility, in order to recognize pride in ourselves, and in order to learn to surrender our self-sufficiency, self-centeredness, self-importance, and self-reliance to God, and repent from contempt, indifference, or judgment of others. What it definitely means is that humility is not a goal we achieve, but more a muscle we train throughout our life. Stephen sums up the first 40 years of Moses' life. At that time, Moses was born and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by his family, and when then he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. First of all, this is, of course, God's plan to keep Moses alive. But also, for these first 40 years of his life, Moses enjoys privileges of wealth and education as Pharaoh's daughter's adopted son. And funnily enough, Stephen, in a summary of Moses's Life points out that Moses would have been very likely highly educated and powerful 
in speech and action, the very thing Moses later denies when faced with and terrified by God's call. Being so closely knit with Pharaoh's household for several decades, Moses no doubt learned about the ways Pharaohs saw themselves as earthly kings and divine intermediaries with a strong sense of superiority and pride. So it is no surprise when the Pharaoh at the time 40 years later, when Moses and Aaron, ultimately of course God, asks to let the Israelites go, when that Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. And then as we know, this Pharaoh's heart hardened as he digged his eels in, in spite of God's great display of power. He cannot and will not humble himself because in his view of himself, he has to retain power over his subjects, Egyptians and slaves alike. As well, he has to retain his godlike status. Pride blinds him. So 40 years earlier, this is the type of grandfather Moses grew up with. This extreme sense of superiority and pride in Pharaoh's household might also have rubbed off on Moses a bit, like our culture does on us. So when Moses decides one day to visit his own people, he takes justice in his own hands and even kills a man when he sees an Israelite mistreated by an Egyptian. Moses is assuming that his own people would recognize that God was using him to rescue them. But they did not. What they did perceive was pride, arrogance, and self-righteousness. And by the way, it's really much easier to see that in other people than in ourselves. And so then we read <clears throat> the next day, he came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you're brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Who made you ruler and judge over us? While Moses' intention might have been noble in his own mind, he went about it in a self-centered way, assuming this was what God wanted him to do at this time without any evidence that we have that he had been consulting God. He just reacted to something he saw in his human strength and righteousness and he underestimated the rebellious spirit in his own people. So then, Moses recognizes the dangerous consequences of his action, which led not only to not being accepted by his own people, 
but also aroused Pharaoh's anger. He flees Egypt into an area somewhere across the Red Sea and goes into hiding. God allows Moses the humbling experience of having messed up, running ahead of God's call, and become a refugee. And as he's on the run, he's quite grateful and humbled again when he's embraced by a Midianite priest and his family who offer gratitude and hospitality when Moses comes to the rescue of the priest's daughters as they are bothered by shepherds and are not able to water their flocks. And so begins 40 years with Jethro and his family, a time where God helps Moses to practice humility. The influence of pride that likely was built up at least a little bit during his first 40 years is now replaced by humbly serving in gratitude to his new family. Away from his adopted, wealthy, and powerful family, and also away from his enslaved family of origin. Moses learns how to serve as a shepherd and how to live in the desert. Actually important experiences in preparation for leading a whole nation into and through the desert, the same desert as a matter of fact. And then, only then, after a long time, God calls Moses to deliver and lead a rebellious and stubborn nation. A nation that loves to blame their leader for challenges along the way. Sheep that have their own struggle with pride. <coughs> So after 40 years passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed by the sight. And as he went to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. I, ha I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. Finally, in the last third of his life, the one self-confident, taking justice into his own hands, proud Moses from 40 years ago, humbled by having to flee to save his life, is afraid. Moses knows the power of Pharaoh. He knows that he was rejected by his own people. But now God assures him that he, God, will be with him and that the power comes with being sent by God not trying to do things for God. So the question the man asked 40 years earlier is not bad one after all. Who made you judge and ruler over us? It is crucial that ultimately God is at the center of it all. Not Moses, not us. So this is then the same Moses they had rejected with, with the words, who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself. 
for the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. So God makes it quite clear that Moses is the one he is sending. Moses is also the one to perform miracles with his staff and God empowers him. He is to lead the Israelites out of Egypt into the desert, receive the Ten Commandments from God and lots of other instructions from God on how to help Israel become God's set about people. And now, he is to be the judge in disputes among the people. And along the way, as we know, Moses is humbled again and again by God's faithful responses to his questions, his fears, his frustration, his anger, his despair, as he is leading an often quite rebellious people. Thomas A. Terns um, from the C.S. Lewis Institute says in an article on humility and pride, developing the identity, attitude, and conduct of a humble servant does not happen overnight. It is rather like peeling an onion. You cut away one layer to find another beneath it. But it does happen. As we forsake pride and seek to humble ourselves by daily deliberate choices in dependence on the Holy Spirit, humility grows in our souls. So the first thing we can take away from the life of Moses is that we never really arrive at true humility as a goal. C.S. Lewis quotes William Law when saying, there is no surer proof of a confirmed pride than the belief that one is sufficiently humble. Instead, we have to faithfully practice humility again and again as life presents us with relational and circumstantial uh, challenges and temptations towards pride. Looking at Moses' life, I began to look at my life to see where God had been teaching me humility. Being on the national rowing team in my early 20s in Germany had a lot of potential to become proud. But looking back, I see lots of occasions to be humbled. Humbly recognizing that I was part of a team where we were carrying each other through good and bad days, victories and defeats, and trying to do so graciously. And accolades were always in the context of a team, not individual in achievement. Accomplishments were shared. Also, humbly acknowledging that in spite of incredible human efforts and training, things might not turn out the way we were hoping, and learning to humbly accept those circumstances, a bigger picture. In my case, we qualified for the Olympics in 1980, but did not get to go because of the boycott of Western countries as Russia had invaded Afghanistan. Big picture. My rowing career then came to a rather sudden end as I suffered from a kidney cyst and needing surgery. And as I was recovering, God made it quite clear to me that I was to move on from highly competitive rowing while some of my teammates decided to train towards uh, the next Olympics, another four years. In all that, 
I was also navigating a serious relationship in my mind was leading to marriage, although there were some red flags. But in my stubbornness for the longest time, I believed that this person loved me enough to be willing to change. In spite of hearing God saying again and again, he won't. And then finally got my attention and the relationship ended. It's humbling, especially for someone who was used to success. I focused on teaching at a Christian school and loved it, but after eight years of that, when I did get married to Mark, I gave that all up to move to Canada. <clears throat> and I did get married to Mark. <laughs> uh, I, gave that, I gave all of that up uh, to, Can to, um, to move to Canada and gave birth to our two girls and realized that all my teaching training had not prepared me sufficiently for raising two beautiful children, but I needed to depend on God to give me patience and strength needed to be a parent, to be a good partner to my husband, navigating life in a different country with different culture. And in the midst of that, God called us to pastoral ministry. So both Mark and I raised our daughters while completing theology degrees at Regent. Humbling experience, again. I knew then, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that all these experiences and education prepared and gifted me with necessary skills but depending on God became increasingly the most important practice as I navigated the challenges of ministry, forgiving others and myself when mistakes were made and feelings got hurt, asking for help and learning to be open for my plans to change because God had other plans. Did pride get the better of me at times? You bet. But like Moses, I try to be open to learn, sometimes reluctantly, sometimes literally kicking and screaming. People who practice true humility are aware of their gifts, but they learn to see God as the source of their gifts and use their gifts to draw attention to the giver. A humble person is aware of their, limita <coughs> sorry, their, their limitations and weaknesses and instead of hiding them, brings them to God, and God will do what we cannot. Again, very much a story of Moses and very much my story, although very different from his. Now let's focus on the conversations with God that Moses has regularly in the last third of his life as he's dealing with the demands of being the leader of a whole nation. No small task. From the beginning, after his ultimate call, Moses is turning to God often. And like Moses, in conversations with God, we learn to humbly surrender our fears, to humbly admit we don't understand everything, we don't have the big picture, and to humbly identify our limitations, what we can, and what we cannot do. So by the time Moses gets to the burning bush, he knows that he cannot hide any longer after his initial attempt to become the deliverer of his people in his own strength. But he's also not tempted to charge ahead with what he thinks should be done when hearing God's call. Pharaoh makes that mistake later when after seemingly surrendering to God's request, he goes after the Israelites again 
and destroys his whole army in the process. So Moses does not just react to his feelings, but instead brings his feelings and perceptions before the Lord and asks questions, shares how he sees things. As humbling as that might seem for someone who is called to be a leader and deliverer as that. Who am I, he asks, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? This sounds like humility, like he learned something from his first attempt. But the questions to God following reveal Moses' fear. Fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of not being enough. Fear. So he asked, suppose, they ask me, what is this name? Then what should I tell them? What if they don't believe me or listen to me? And then finally, oh Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Here's even a bit of false humility. As we know, he was educated in that. But he's bringing this to God because at the heart of the issue is fear. Not wanting to do what God is asking out of fear. And finally, he actually says, please send someone else. <laughs> so God understands our fears. And he responds to Moses' fears with, I am with you. I am sending you. I am giving you what you need. I am helping you. I am providing you with a helper. And ultimately, Moses does what God is asking him to do. As we learn true humility, we need to learn to bring our fears to God and surrender them to him. However, even after that, circumstances don't always seem to line up with what we thought should then happen when hearing God say these things. And we have to go back and bring that to God, bring to God what we see and find out what he sees. When after Moses and Aaron's first visit with Pharaoh, the Israelites' workload gets unbearably increased, Moses returns to the Lord, says, why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to speak in your name, Pharaoh has brought trouble on this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. Sound familiar? God starts showing Moses that what Moses sees is not all there is. Reminding him of the bigger fight that is going on between God and Pharaoh that needs to be dealt with before the rescue can actually happen. And as we know, all these things were also signs to the Israelites regarding the power of their God. Too quickly, we go to, my prayers are not answered. Like Moses saying, you have not rescued your people at all. Humility admits that we cannot understand everything, but God does. And so in spite of fear and not understanding everything, Moses has the humility to then faithfully deliver the announcements of the 10 plagues. 
Humility is to bring our fears to God, going to him when we don't understand, but then do the next thing that we can do and see what God does, like Moses. But humble people, like Moses, also learn to see their limitations and leave it up to God to deal with situations that are outside of their abilities. And God honors that with providing the help and sometimes also the judgment or discipline that is needed. A good example of Moses acknowledging his limitations is when the Israelites are ungrateful for the manna God provided and demands them to eat. <clears throat> in Numbers 11, Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance of their tents, and the Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. And then he asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth them to them? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. Burden is too heavy for me. If, you, if this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes, do not let me face my own ruin. Moses here is brutally honest about how he feels and that the burden is too heavy. And God provides 70 of Israel's elders to share the burden with Moses, but then also deals with the Israelites' ungratefulness by sending so much meat for the whole mo uh, month that the Israelites get sick of it and many die. And finally now, after looking at the evidence that humility is learned, and humility means turning to God often, honestly, with all our feelings and perceptions, we are now looking at some of the fruit that grows out of humility. And some of that is respect, teachability, and forgiveness. When humility is at its best in us, other qualities will show up as well. Respect and teachability are highlighted in Exodus 18. After Moses has been leading the Israelites for a while, his father-in-law, Jethro, the midnight priest, comes to visit. And in spite of now being a leader, priest, and prophet himself, Moses humbly greets Jethro. As in that culture, son-in-law should, but still it is worth mentioning as a sign that Moses has not become proud and developed a sense of superiority. He does not think of himself more highly than his father-in-law. Instead, he shares with Jethro what has been happening and what God has done, and Jethro listens. His heart is touched, and Jethro acknowledges the superiority of the God of Israel. He says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Jethro, as a result, becomes a new convert. Then the story goes on to tell us about Jethro observing Moses, Moses' work as judge the next day. And he gives Moses advice on how to make his Lord more sustainable. And now Moses listens and creates a new system of leaders. The difficult cases were brought to Moses, but the simple ones, the leaders decided themselves. In this example, both Moses and his father-in-law show humility 
by speaking and listening with respect, and both are teachable, willing to learn from one another, which means for Jethro to learn about the God of the Israelites and Moses to learn from Jethro's experience as the older man, how to lead people more sustainably and effectively. Forgiveness is another characteristic of a humble heart. In Numbers 12, we hear about the incident where Aaron and Miriam are grumbling against Moses. And they say, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? They ask, has he not also spoken through us? And they draw attention to themselves and grumble against Moses. And that arouses God's anger and God punishes Miriam by becoming leprous. At that point, Moses' humility becomes apparent. He could have said, serves all right, grumbling against me. But instead, when Aaron asks for mercy for her, Moses cries out to the Lord and asks for her healing. No hard feelings, but a humble, forgiving spirit allows him to plead for mercy on behalf of his sister. As we have been looking at some aspects of humility in Moses' life, we saw that humility is learned as a matter of fact, needs lifelong training. So let's ask ourselves, what have been experiences in my life where I learned humility? Allow yourself to be surprised by what God has used to humble you so that you can answer his call to, on you to serve him and through that others well. Where does pride most easily get a foothold in my life? Where do I react by out of pride rather than respond with humility? Where do I try to control rather than surrender? And then humility is <coughs> turning to God often. What do my conversations with God look like? Am I humbly bringing all my questions, perceptions, and feelings, positive and negative, to him? Am I as brutally honest like Moses? Am I just talking to at God or am I humbly listening? And finally, humility bears fruit by producing wonderful relational traits like respect, teachability, and forgiveness. Do I have examples where my pride might have gotten in the way of being able to show respect, extend forgiveness? or be teachable? So God, as we see in Moses' story, in order to become more humble, we need you. We need to resent on you. We need to depend on you. We need to come to you often. And so I pray. Thank you.